Hello, church. My name is Michelle, and we will now be reading today's passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 12. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the reading of God's word. Well, uh, good morning to you, True North. My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff here. Uh, I have the privilege of giving today's message. Uh, I am 32 years old. Uh, I'm like a classic Asian-American millennial. Uh, if you're like me, you'll know this uh, around like age 10 to like 13. The one thing that dominated my life was a game called StarCraft. Uh, if you don't know, you control little humans or aliens and you try to kill each other, right? It's, it's fun. Um, and a lot of, in my church, a lot of these older brothers were playing it and they were obsessed with it and they were really good. And I wanted to get really good at this game. So I got the game. And the thing is, when you play any type of game, uh, you can either play against the computer and there's also you play against other people. And, uh, you know, back then uh, my internet was so slow that I could only play against the computer. And the problem is in StarCraft, or not the problem, but maybe the temptation, is that there's cheat codes that you can enter. Uh, if you, black sheep wall, uh, there is no cow. You, you guys, if you know, you know, okay? And the thing is, when you type in these cheat codes, things change in the game. You get unlimited resources. Uh, you, you can win automatically. And I really wanted to get good at this game. So I tried really hard to get good at this game. Problem is, I'd get frustrated. So I'd always take a shortcut. I'd just type in, there is no cow level. And I would win, right? And then uh, the older church brothers would come to me and say, oh, let's, let's play. I heard you're good. And I would play and I would get destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. And, and why is that? Um, I tried to, to, my best ability, shortcut my way to get good at this. But when the hardships of an actual person came up, when the hardships are just actual StarCraft of playing it came up, I failed because I was not ready for that. I did not learn how to be a good StarCraft player because I took so many shortcuts along the way. Why do I share this? Uh, many of us, I think in a weird way, fall into the same pitfalls with Jesus in our own faith. That oftentimes when we look uh, to Jesus or the idea of Christianity itself of following who Jesus is, we do the same. We want to just get there quickly and easily and smoothly. But the problem is what Paul is telling us here is this. Faith is not smooth in this broken life. He tells us and leaves us with this command. He tells us, fight the good fight of the faith. And what I'm hoping to do by the end of this message is to ingrain that phrase into your mind. Fight the good fight of the faith. And I want to be careful here. Um, look, following Jesus in itself is easy. I mean, Jesus himself tells us, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There is, no, there, there is nothing that you need to earn to enter into in a relationship with Jesus. But the problem is, it's not that following Jesus is difficult. What Paul is saying is this, following Jesus in a broken world is extremely difficult because we lose sight of who he is. And that's why Paul calls all of us to fight the good fight of the faith so that 
we don't lose Jesus in this broken world. The problem is this, the, or sorry about the problem, but the first thing that we need to realize is this, faith is not smooth. We want it to be. We so desperately want faith in Jesus, just like Starcraft. I just enter in a code. If I pray the right things, if I read enough of the Bible, if I serve enough, I'll win the game. The problem is, that's not how life works. And this is a the thing, some of us may be surprised that Paul even tells us to fight the good fight of the faith because that runs contrary to what I think many of us sign up for when we declare that I want to enter into this journey of following Jesus. You see, I think when Paul tells us to fight for faith, what he's telling us is this, faith is not a contractual thing, it's a relational thing. That faith with Jesus is not contractual it's relational. What do I mean? You know, in, in relationships, deep, intimate relationships, those are the things that you are often told, fight for it. Fight in your marriage. Fight in your family. Fight to keep it together. No one tells you in contracts, hey, fight for your Costco membership. No one tells you that. Because this is the thing. In a contract, if I pay my dues, I will smoothly get what I desire. Right? Every month or is it every year I pay Costco. And what do I smoothly get? $1.50 hot dogs. I can buy things in bulk. I don't need to, right? And that, that's the benefit. It's a smooth transaction. And this is the thing that I think we need to realize. For many of us, when we follow Jesus, we fall into the trap of thinking that we're entering into a, a contract. Uh, there's a sociologist by the name of Christian Smith, um, and, and Pastor Jay sent me this study uh, over the week, and I thought it was very helpful. What he discovered in 2005, and I would say not much has changed, is that much of the American youth and young adults of all faith traditions, so meaning he surveyed Christians, Muslims, Hindus, even new age uh, religion, whatever, maybe interviewed a, a large chunk of the youth. And what he found in his study is that almost all of everyone in that, uh, in religious category from Christian to Hindu to anyone actually believe the same exact thing. That almost all of us in America, we believe in all types of religion, it's a contract. What he discovered is that many of us in America believe what we call moralistic, therapeutic deism. I know that's a word salad, but I want to break that down because I think it's helpful. I think there's a slide above me that does that. Because this is what Christian Smith is saying. He's saying this, that for many of us, we fall, whether you're here following Jesus, whether you're here following a different tradition, it's all the same thing deep down inside. Moralistic. What we often first believe is this. Any religion, especially in Christianity, oh, I should be a good person and act morally. And then therapeutic, well, my religious life, therefore, is meant to help me feel good and happier. And in the context of all of that is this idea of deism. What that means is that God is extremely far. God is out there in some vague sense but he's not involved with my everyday life except to help me in times of crisis. And I would argue this, especially if you grew up in the church, some form of that still exists in your heart when you look at Jesus. That's, I need to be a good person, and if I'm a good person, I will be happy, and if I'm happy, I'll please the faraway God to give me the blessings that I need. What that is, is a contract. And the contract goes like this. Being a good person, being a moral person is the end of my contract. That's the dues that I pay. And if I'm good, God, if I don't swear, if I, don't, if I stop drinking, 
right, if I tithe a little bit, if I serve the community, then I am good and God owes me happiness in return. And this is the thing, if I'm not happy or if somehow tragedy or suffering falls upon me, then either or one, I fail to be good and it's my fault or the, the contrary, God failed, God failed to be good and step in from their far off place so he must not exist. And I'll argue this, much of our religion in following Jesus is not a relationship, it's this contract that we have. But what Paul is telling us is this, you don't fight for contracts. Contracts are clear, they're smooth, they're easy. They have these things, they're safe. But if you look at your life, if you look at scripture, if you look at Jesus' life, if you look at anyone in actually living their faith, this is not how it goes. And actually, I would tell you this, the gospel that we believe that, you know, Jay just mentioned, we believe that the gospel points us to the true north. The gospel refutes all of that. That this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism is false contrary to the truth of what Jesus tells us. Because what does Jesus tell us on the cross? First, he's not trying to make us better people. He's already telling us, you are already redeemed. You are good, not because of what you do, but because of what I've done on the cross. And what God is saying is, I don't want to just give you happiness. I want to transform you into a deeper person closer to me. Happiness is fleeting. Intimacy with God is what keeps us strong. And that's what God is after. He's not after to, he's not just to make you happy. He's to make you a deeper transformed person. And with all of that, what the gospel tells us is this, God is not far away. You know, I, I, I want to be careful, but a lot of other religions, that idea still might be true, that God seems far away, that you have to do all these things to get to this faraway God. But the faith that we have, the gospels that we read, what it tells us is this, God stepped down and became flesh to bring himself closer to us. We have a God who enters into our world and he enters what? Through a suffering savior. What it's telling us is this, Jesus did not die on the cross to hand us a cold, dead contract to sign. Rather, he died so that he could forgive our sins and also give us life to the fullest. In John 10, 10, what Jesus tells his disciples and ultimately us is this, the thief comes only to kill, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This doesn't sound like a contract. This sounds like a cheap relationship. If it was a contract, Paul would have no need to say, fight the good fight of the faith. And yet he does. Why does he tell us that? Because just like in a marriage, just like in a family, just like in any type of deep, intimate relationship, you have to fight for it. You know, many times when married couples uh, often get divorced, uh, we only often hear of the scandalous divorce, that something huge came up and because of that, they separated. But I would argue this as someone that's been in ministry and observed a lot of marriages that most divorces happen not because of one scandalous thing, but years and decades of not fighting for one another, but the numbing of one another. That, you know, I've mentioned this before, that rather than becoming husband and wife, you just become roommates that just brush shoulders all the time. And oftentimes, as I talked about this before, we do the same that we come every week, maybe you even serve at our church, maybe you even tithe, and that's all good, and that's a blessing. 
But oftentimes we do that and we brush shoulders with God's presence every Sunday, every community group. And actually in deep reality, we're more roommates than actually being in a relationship with. See, rather than fighting the good fight, often we numb ourselves to apathy and slowly drift away from God. But Paul wants none of that. He tells us, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. And what do we do that? And I want to enter this, that often that sounds great, but how do we fight when we're in the valleys of the life that we live? Psalm 23 tells us that even though God is with us, oftentimes we will walk through the valleys of shadows and death. And I would argue this. Many of us here, you're hearing this and you're like, you're telling me this when a family member has passed away or when someone is deathly sick or when I'm about to lose my job and my financial stability. How can you tell me to fight the good fight when I'm entering into those valleys? Well, it's seeing this. What, what, what does Paul say about the valleys of our faith? Well, Paul tells us this. He, he answers a, a good word into this phrase. He doesn't just say fight the fight of faith. He says fight the good fight of faith. What is he telling us there? Look, many of us, um, you know, we're, we're a heavily Asian-American dominated church. And I would dare say for most of us, I think, you, even if you didn't grow up in the church, we grew up in an immigrant cultural setting. And this might be true, whatever your cultural background is, but I think for a majority of us, if you're like me, many of us are culturally programmed to always perform for results. You've been taught to perform for results. And if the results don't follow, then something was wrong with the performance. And, you know, we, we, uh, we all have trauma, right? I have trauma. Like, you know, you bring home a B plus and your parents are like, why? Like, what is this? This is a reflection of your bad performance, right? You didn't bring the right result, so look at your performance. And this is the thing. We carry that same type of feeling into our faith with Jesus. That what happens is if we feel far away from God, if some sort of tragedy enters into our life, if we feel emotionally disconnected, if we feel like we're even deconstructing our faith, what we tell ourselves is, back to the moralistic therapeutic reason, what we tell ourselves is, oh, I must have messed up. I must have done something wrong. And I would say this, much of, if you grew up in the church, much of your, and not even the church, but if you just grew up in a Western setting, um, much of how you view spirituality is dependent on these mountaintop emotional experiences. You know, my parents sent me on so many retreats, so many mission trips, so many conferences. You know why? They were like, I need you to change, right? And I remember I went on a retreat once and I came back and, you know, I was just bored. And I remember there was like an interesting sermon and I wanted to like refute it. So I was just reading the Bible and my mom was like, oh, she like broke down. So, oh my, my son is reading the Bible by himself, right? There's change in his life. And I told her a year later, like, no, that's not right. But anyways, I think all of us, we have that feeling, right? We're culturally programmed. You perform for results and if the results don't follow, then something must be wrong with the performance. What does that mean for us spiritually? If I feel far away, if I'm entering into a valley of shadow and death, if I feel emotionally disconnected, if I'm just in a stagnant season, man, I must have messed up. Something must be wrong with me. And what happens when you fall into that thinking is you drift further and further and further away from Jesus. Yet, Paul reminds us here to all those who are struggling that we are fighting a good fight. 
What Christ on the cross is a reminder for us is this. Even if our emotions, even if our spirit does not feel close to God, Jesus' blood already covers us, whatever you are feeling, because he died to make that a point. And let me tell you this, as Western American people, for the majority of us, you need to stop living out of your emotional experience because emotions are great. I'm not saying that they're bad, but oftentimes they can be like alcohol, right? Like it's, it could be great, but it can be distorting. Like you don't have a clear sense of reality. And, and you know, I'm not trying to uh, push an emotionless faith, but if your faith is only built on your emotions, that you, you know, my, uh, my discipleship and my journey with Jesus is tied with how close I feel with him, your journey will fail. And what the cross is telling you is don't place it on how you feel, place it on what Jesus has done. You know, uh, it's summer is here, right? It sucks. And yesterday uh, it was so hot. My apartment doesn't have AC. My portable AC broke. It sucks, okay? Sorry. And anyways, I was so hot. Took my kids to my parents. My parents have this huge pool and we're swimming. And my uh, Eli, my son's five. Sydney, my daughter's four um, or almost four. Very different. Uh, Sydney is like, she does not understand what fear is to her detriment. Like she'll just jump into the water and she'll drown, right? Um, Eli is deathly afraid of anything that he is not comfortable with. Deathly afraid. So when I'm swimming and, you know, I both gave them floaties. My, my daughter's just running into the water. I'm just like, I have to like catch her. Like, please stop. Like, you're going to die. My son, very different. Terrified. He gets all excited. He's, he's all talk. Oh, I, I, I can't wait to swim. Can't wait to swim. Like, okay, I'm going to bring all this stuff and put you on sunscreen. And I brought all this stuff. And there's a lot of extra work. And the minute I put his feet in the water, he's like, oh, no, I'm going to drown. Right? I'm gonna drown. Like, bro, we're like, we're like one foot in. Like, even if you stand up, you're not gonna drown. And I remember he's wearing floaties. I'm like, dude, just just come in. Like, I got you, man. It's like, no, no, like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Like, how can you not believe me? Like, I'm your father. So I don't care, right? And he jumps in and I like almost like kind of like drag him. I'm, like, I'm getting tired of this. He's like, ah, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. He's like, I'm the holy. I'm holding you. I'm literally holding you. He's like, I don't feel you. And what he doesn't know is he has floaties. Like, even if I let go, he'd be fine. And I'm holding it with all my might, like with my hand. I'm like, I'm holding you. But he doesn't feel it. And he's just freaking out in the water. Where I'm just like, dude, like, you're fine. I got you. Even if you don't feel me, can you at least trust? I feed you every day. How can you not trust me, right? Oftentimes, that type of, you know, experience that my son has, I think, embodies many of us. We don't feel God is with us. We feel water all around us. We're like, oh, we're going to drown. But when you look to the cross, what God is telling you is this, I have my hand right underneath you and fight the good fight to believe it, to believe that. That's what we're called to fight for. And so many of us have become so guilty even because we don't feel close to God as noted before, that we've drifted so far from God's presence. Fight the good fight of the faith. If you are struggling, let me speak to you very clearly, if you are spiritually far from God, the first, usually the first emotion you'll feel is guilt. I've done something wrong, but that is the enemy whispering into your ear. What Paul is telling you is this, no, if you are struggling, good. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Who is he telling this to? Like the whole sermon series that we're going through is Paul is speaking to Timothy, a, a, a shepherd, someone that he's trained, a pastor even of the Ephesian church. He's telling a leader of the church, fight the good fight of the faith. If he's telling that to a leader of the church, that means all of us fall into the same category. 
Don't allow your stagnancy, don't allow your drifting from God emotionally somehow guilt you to drift yourself even further. Fight the good fire of the faith. And as we do that, well, what do we get? As you fight the good fight of the faith, especially when you are struggling, you realize a couple things. One, as you fight to get closer to God, you will in, in perfect relationship draw closer yourself to God. God is in the business of meeting those who are fighting in the wilderness. If you look at the Old Testament, Jacob wrestles with God in the wilderness. Moses is cast out from Egypt as he's just killed someone in cold blood and murder. And as he's wandering, fighting to find someone, God meets them with a burning bush in the wilderness. Even Jesus, God always meets Jesus in the wilderness as he enters into the desert for four years of temptation. God meets Jesus in the wilderness as he's fighting for faith. It's in the darkest of times that we usually come out closer in relational intimacy. David Brooks puts it this way. When most people think about the future, they dream up ways they might live happier lives, right? And what David Brooks is saying is, you know, this, this is what we want from God, happiness. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the crucial events that formed them, they don't usually talk about happiness. Most people shoot for happiness, but are actually formed through suffering. You ask any married couple that's been married for over 10 years, what formed you? Because this is the thing, in the moment in your marriage, all you like get excited for is like our vacations. Like no married couple was formed from their two week vacation from Hawaii, unless you fought, right? Because in that suffering and that fire of trap, like, man, you know, if, if you're married, you know this, every honeymoon on the flight back, it's the, the biggest fight of your relationship, right? And if you remember, I don't remember anything about my honeymoon other than my wife accusing me that I'm lazy because I lost my like passport. Like, excuse me. Right. And we, we fought and what happens? We built a closer relationship. Moral ther therapy theism, whatever you would, the contract that we sign, that most Americans sign, we want happiness. God wants intimacy. Fight the good fight of the faith. Don't ever think your emotions are an indicator of God's presence in your life. Because the cross tells you different. Fight the good fight of the faith. As you fight to bring yourself closer to God, you'll also realize this, especially when you're in the valleys of suffering and death. As you draw closer to God, as you fight to remember his arm under you, just like my son, you'll also be able to hear his voice. It's those who fight through apathy that also hear, that can hear God's voice even clear. When you look at Jesus' life, he had to fight to create just time with himself and God. And Jesus is you know, perfectly God and you know, still in human form. And even in that setting, he had to fight to pray. Because there's always chaos around him. People want to be healed. People want power out of him. People want to abuse him. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of 12 disciples, one that's going to betray him, in the midst of all this chaos, if you think running a business is hard, Jesus understands. Right? He had 12 disciples and one trade away his secrets to a different company. He understands. And even in the midst of that, Jesus fights to create time with God. And why does he do that? So that he can hear his voice. David Brooks continues, who, who's a, a, a social author. He talks about this idea of there's a pleasure in suffering. And I want to be very careful here. I'm not saying that if you suffer somehow, automatically God is going to reward you in that. 
he's saying that oftentimes when people come out of suffering, there is some sort of clarity that they see. This is what he writes. The pleasure in suffering is that you feel you are getting beneath the superficial and approaching the fundamental. It creates what modern psychologists call depressive realism, an ability to see things exactly the way that they actually are. It shatters the comforting realizations and pat narratives we tell about ourselves as a part of our way of simplifying ourselves for the world. Paul, when he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, he's not saying it just in this ivory tower of academia and not being touched from anything and just writing letters all day. Paul was an apostle who suffered, who suffered, who was thrown in prison, who was shipwrecked, who probably lost so many of his friends and family from his conversion. And in the midst of that, Paul tells Timothy, through my suffering, through my life, look, Timothy, I'm telling you, True North, I'm telling you, I've been there. I understand. I'm not saying this in this perfect ivory tower, but I'm telling you, fight the good fight of the faith because when you're in that moment where you feel like, man, I just want to give up. I've tried to pray. I've tried to read the Bible. I've tried to listen to a podcast. I've tried to even tithe, and all that is not changing me. What Paul's saying is fight the good fight of the faith because as you enter into that suffering season, as you enter into that stagnant season, what's right there out of that, if you fight the good fight of faith, is that you will hear God's voice so clearly in your life. And all these things that tell you this is reality, this is reality, this is happiness, this is joy, it will all fade. You know, this year at our church, and we talked about this a little bit on the pulpit, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting year of seeing a lot of people uh, go through this suffering. Um, of having people lose family members out of nowhere. Of even, I know some of us here have people very close to us that are deathly sick. I know some of us here are, are terrified of our financial stability of our job. And I'm not trying to downplay that, downplay that at all. But, you know, I preach all this. Jay preaches all this. But when I actually have to talk to people that are in the midst of suffering, but fighting, but fighting the good fight of faith, man, there is a clarity that they have that I can never fathom to even read or gain through wisdom. Because in that suffering, as you fight the good fight, God clears all of that and says, this is who I am. And this is who you've been looking for the whole time. Fight the good fight of the faith. If that's what happens when we fight, how can we do this? How can we fight? How is it that we're called to fight? You know, this sounds great. It sounds like a TED Talk often maybe, but it can be meta, right? It's like, that sounds pretty. But Jesus, how do I bring that into my life? A couple of things. The first is this. How do we fight in this broken, wonderful Jesus? I think the first thing we have to do is fight to remember. Fight to remember. Note, Paul tells Timothy how to fight directly. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. And what does he say right after? Well, he tells them how. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called to. Take hold. And what he's saying, when he's saying, well, is a take just grasp it. Don't let it go. Take holy eternal life to which you were called to. What does that mean? Now, I want to be very careful as we, you know, as I say, fight the good fight of the faith. You, can, might, you might think, oh, this means we have to earn our way to God's favor. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what I'm saying. And Dallas Willard puts it well, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. There's a big distinction here. What I'm not saying is fight to earn God's favor. What I'm saying is fight to remember God's truth. 
on the God, on the cross. We're fighting to remember what Christ has given us as the world will always try and pry it away. What has Christ given us? Eternal life on the cross. At what cost? His own life. You know, we talk about this a lot. It's like, oh, that's great. It's like, you know, I always say like, when people say that's crazy two times, that means wrap up the story, right? And you know, oftentimes when we're here, if you're like me, you hear preaching like, that's crazy. That's crazy. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. I've heard this. If we are entering into that type of thinking, we've lost it. You know, C.S. Lewis puts it this way in, Scruti- in, in, in a book called Screwtape Letters. Um, he's talking about how demons try and attack us. And this is why, as, as a demon, writes this. It's funny how morals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Always, all of our sin comes from forgetting what God invites us into. You know, I... I've heard so many sermons where it's just like, hey, fight the good fight of faith. So fight sexual temptation, fight swearing, fight greed. But the problem is that's not really the root of your issues. Every sin is an invitation. It's a transaction. It's saying, if you do this, if you watch a couple minutes of pornography, if you just gossip about that person behind your back, oh, you will feel happiness. You will feel joy. And it's inviting you into that transaction. But what Jesus is saying is this, don't forget my invitation. I have come to give you life and abundantly to live to the fullest. Fight to remember. I, you know, I, I've watched a lot of Disney movies recently because of my kids. I watched Lion King, um, the original, not the weird remake. It's a great movie, great movie. And it's actually a, a, a great discipleship journey of Simba. Because Simba, you know, he, I Everyone's watched it, right? His dad dies, and then he's like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to fight. I'm going to just wander numblessly into the desert, right? And he meets Timon and Pumbaa. And when you, you know, as kids, we love Hakuna Matata. What that story is telling you is uh, Hakuna Matata, oh, everything's fine. That's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's the whole point. Timon and Pumbaa are actually Satan. They're, they're like kind of whispering like, hey, just forget about everything. It's coming to the wilderness, right? And what happens? The monkey, uh, Rafiki, or I forgot his name, but he comes, right? He's like Jesus. He comes, tells Simba, remember who you are, right? You remember that one theme, Mufasa comes from the clouds, James Rhodes, right? Oh, it's so good. My son's like, what's going on? And what, what, what's the movie telling you? The way back to fighting is to remember who you are. Don't forget that. That's what Paul is saying. Well, then how can we remember the second thing is this, we're, if we're called to fight to remember, we're also called to fight slowly. We're called to fight slowly. I've talked about this a lot in different sermons, but this is the same thing, and I think it's necessary here. Uh, N.C. Wright puts it this way, it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. What is he saying? We live in a rushed world where it demands multitasking, quick efficiency, mind-numbing just so that you can survive and we're so used to it right like uh you know twitter shut down yesterday and i was having the worst time because it's nba free agency i'm just like it's like it's just not working right but like what 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 does it do if i only find the news like a week later there's no change but we're so used to instant gratification we want things quickly and so we bring that same mindset to god and jesus jesus i'm gonna pray this prayer and just like starcraft entering the code give me happiness but what Jesus is showing us in his life. That's not how it works. You know, uh, there's a couple of people at our church that run a marathon, and I'm always fascinated because I'll never run a marathon, right? And I'm always fascinated. How do you do it? 
And one thing that a lot of them tell me is like, you can't just do it. You have to train yourself up. You can't like, I can't sign up next week for a full marathon. I'll, I, I'll literally die probably, right? And what they say is that you have to train yourself up. And even when you get to the marathon, you can't just sprint. You have to, the whole point of a marathon is finding a sustainable, even slow pace to finish the race. And Paul later on, Corinthians says, in the same way to fight the good fight of faith, run the marathon. And what does that mean? We have to find slowness in our spiritual lives to remember who God is. How do we do that? Let me put it very simply. The spiritual practices are designed to mainly slow you down. We all know like the, the meal prayer, dear God, thank you for the food, amen. Like we, we pray that, right? But when you really pray, and when you pray the way the Psalms lay out how to pray, it's a slow, tenuous, even a fighting process because you got to deal with your actual stuff. When you read scripture and not just listen to a podcast and not just listen to a sermon, but when you have to open up a physical Bible and read it, what does it force you to do? It forces you to slow down, to hear God's word. When we meet on a Sunday and look, introverts, I understand, it sucks, right? Why? Because you got to talk to people for a very long time, small talk, right? My wife always tells me like, she hates small talk so much. And it's like always like, I need to fight to come to church, but she, I'm fighting the good fight. Why? It slows you down. It, it's not just about you anymore. You're, there's an actual human being in front of you. Not TikTok, not Instagram, an actual human being. Fight slowly so that we can catch up to God and remember who we are. Fight to remember, fight slowly. But lastly, fight together. Um, in the end of this verse, and on with this, Paul gives Timothy this last portion to fight the good fight. Take hold of the entire life to which you were called to about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He reminds Timothy that, you know, often, you know, when we have baptism, what that is is a public profession of faith that you're entering into a new community of believers, a new family. And what Paul is saying is, is you have, he's reminding Timothy, fight together with the community around you. We need intentional spiritual relationships in our lives. Relationships that we give permission to fight with. So meaning people to pry into our lives. Yeah, I'll tell you this. If the only time you get that is once a week, maybe once every other week in community group, that's not enough. It's not enough. And I, look, I fall victim to it too. Um, we, I, I started like a, a small group reading a book with a couple of guys at our church. You know, and some of them, I've, I'll be honest, I've only talked golf, sports, and it just ends there. I'm like, oh, that's all I got, right? And it's often, if you're like me, you know, it's kind of difficult to press deeper often in relationships. But I'll tell you this. We met, like, we started at 7. I thought we, I'd get home by, like, 8.30. They were, like, talking to, like, 10, 10.30. I was like, oh, shoot, like, I, I got to go home, right? But it was a great time because why? We're finally getting deeper and fighting together. We need that. You know, CrossFit is a cult, right? Why, why does it work? I'm always fast. Yeah, I'm fascinated with working out stuff because, like, I'm just not in that world. And, you know, Pastor Jay is really into it. A couple of people at our church are really into it. And what, yeah, I've researched it. And when they found out CrossFit, you do it in a group. You don't do it by yourself. The reason it works is because you're doing it in community. Uh, researchers have found that working out in a group, it lowers stress by 26%, improves quality of life, while those who exercise individually put in more effort but experience no significant changes in their stress level and a limited and even decreased improvement of quality of life, right? 
what he's saying is if you work out by yourself, you get more depressed. If you work out in groups, your stress actually lowers. Why is that? Well, I think it's a biblical truth. We're called to fight the good fight together. And it's like a little, you know, you got to step and be courageous and have that relate. Maybe even your marriage, but we even with the friends around you at church, like, what are you, what are your group chats about? Like, Hey, it's all, if it's golf and sports and stocks, all great. Not nothing bad about that. But is there a space to grow deeper? Fight the good fight together. In closing, what Paul tells us to do is just fight the good fight of the faith in light of a savior who has done the same for us. Look to the cross, look to the gospels. What it conveys is the journey of a savior who fights on our behalf to the point of his death. And what he's saying, what Paul's saying is this, fight to remember that, what Jesus has given us on the cross. Fight the good fight of the faith. Let's pray. Uh, I'm gonna invite the worship team up and just for a couple of moments, if we just pray on our own, I don't know what you're going through. Some of you, I do know what you're going through. And it's difficult for me to say this because I know some of you guys are in situations where it almost seems, it almost seems unfair for this message to begin. Fight the good fight of the faith where like, you don't know what I'm going through. I'll tell you this, God does. And what we have is a savior who has also suffered on our behalf. Meaning that whatever you are suffering, he knows to the deepest of his own pain that he relates to that. So what I ask us to reflect on is this. I think all of us are being called to fight the good fight in different ways. And I just ask us to reflect, where is God calling us to fight that good fight? Is it to remember who you are? Is it grow closer to people around you? Is it grow closer to this church? So let's take a moment to, to pray over that and we'll continue on in our, in our worship service.